Alright, welcome back to our study in systematic theology. Um, we are looking at uh, number 31, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Hard to believe we're starting our second half of this series. Uh, already past the halfway mark now. We just completed uh, a whole series of sessions on Christ, and now we're beginning a series of sessions on the Holy Spirit. Specifically this time looking at Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Next time we'll look at Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Um, we'll follow our kind of usual formula here. I'm going to read an introductory article that uh, kind of brings us to what we're talking about uh, this evening. And then we'll stop and watch our, our video. And then we'll go through our overview and, and questions and make sure we, we learn some good things from the video and, and have a little discussion at the end. Uh, so this, this particular article actually goes hand in hand with this uh, session. God's own spirit, Joel tells us, is poured out upon all of his people in the last days. Joel 2, 28 and 29. We know that this outpouring happened at, on Pentecost, shortly after Jesus ascended to heaven. Acts 2, 1 through 21. But to fully enjoy the spirit's presence in our lives, we must understand who he is and what he does. Over the next weeks uh, in this series, which covers pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, will guide us in a study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You will note that in the preceding paragraph, we repeatedly referred to the Holy Spirit as He, not It. This reflects the teaching of Scripture that the Spirit is not an impersonal force or a mere attribute of God's power, but rather a person. Many sects and cults teach otherwise. Yet the use of the personal pronoun for the Holy Spirit and the fact that the Spirit possesses a will, knowledge, and affections reveals his personhood. John 16, Ephesians 4. We have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, just as we have a personal relationship with the other two persons of the Holy Trinity. The best place to begin our study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit is at the beginning. For the first place we read about the Spirit is in the opening verses of the Bible. Today's passage reveals that at the moment of creation, God the Holy Spirit hovered over the primordial waters that our Creator had made ex nihilo, that is, out of nothing. Genesis 1, 1-2 By His power in creation, He brought forth light out of darkness and order out of disorder. Thus, one of the key works of the Holy Spirit is to bring things to life and to set things in order. He is the spirit of order, as Paul explains, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit working also in redemption. We have noted that the Old Covenant ministry of the Spirit to gift individuals for service was mainly limited to prophets, priests, and kings, although he regenerated all believers during the Old Covenant period. The Holy Spirit anointed prophets to speak God's word, priests to intercede for the people, and kings to lead Israel against the enemies of God. Some references, 1 Samuel 16, 2 Chronicles 24, and 2 Peter 1. The Lord used all these individuals to advance his plan of redemption, pointing ultimately to Christ whom the Spirit anointed as our prophet, priest, and king to secure our eternal salvation. Hebrews 1, 1-4, and 9, 14. Okay, 
think that serves as a good introduction. So let's pause and watch our video and then we'll come back to our overview. All right, we finished our video. Another good one. Uh, let's go through our overview and questions. So number 31, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Introduction. The work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Old Testament saints is confusing to most people. Here we begin our study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit by looking at his, at his work within the context of the Old Testament, confirming his role and empowering individuals to carry out particular functions on behalf of God. So overview. What are the significant events in our lives? So in the video, Dr. Sproul shared the story of his conversion and how significant, how significant it was to him. He was engaged to a woman who thought he had gone crazy when he was converted. But when she was converted, one of her first comments was, Now I know who the Holy Spirit is. Notice the choice of pronoun, who, not what. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has a will, knowledge, and affections, all of which add up to his being a person. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit in Old Testament times as compared to the New is often a point of confusion. In Genesis 1-2, we read that the Spirit hovered over the waters. This begins our understanding of God the Holy Spirit. The gap theory does not help us at this point. Even Carl Sagan, on the first page of his book Cosmos, makes a point of saying that we live in a cosmos, not a chaotic universe. In Genesis 1, we read about the proclamation of God's oversight, via the Holy Spirit, of all that was made. The overwhelming power of God that is manifested in the Old Testament narratives is focused through the Holy Spirit. He is the dunamis, power of God. The offices of the prophet, priest, and king were all empowered, gifted, or anointed by the Holy Spirit. However, that the Holy Spirit could anoint or empower someone to do a certain task did not necessarily mean that they had been regenerated by the Spirit, though gifted, not necessarily internally changed. So questions and answers. When does the Holy Spirit first appear in the Old Testament? It's at creation. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Genesis 1-2. What is the meaning of the word dunamis? Power. It is applied in Scripture to the Spirit. For example, in Luke 1:35, the angel Gabriel told Mary that God's Spirit and power would overshadow her and cause her to conceive. In the Old Testament, how did the Holy Spirit prepare men for the offices of prophet, priest, or king? He anointed them. Not every believer had the anointing for ministry, and not every anointed leader was a believer. Did the Holy Spirit fill all of God's people in the Old Testament? No. The outpouring of the Spirit on every believer was an event that the Old Testament anticipated would take place under the New Covenant. Who informed Moses that sharing the job of leadership with gifted elders was a wise idea? Jethro. At the suggestion of Jethro and with the approval of God, Moses separated for himself 70 men to be elders of the people and to share in the leadership. 
Who does the Bible first speak of being filled with the Holy Spirit? The craftsmen. The first time was in reference to the artists who were uniquely endowed and gifted by the Holy Spirit to do their work. Moses looked forward to a new mediator who would give his spirit to all of his people so that this empowerment for ministry would be given to all God's people. So let's look at our discussion questions. Now, what are examples of biblical passages that indicate the personhood of the Holy Spirit? I can't think of the chapter, but there at the beginning of Acts, whenever you have the, uh, the drama between Ananias and Sapphira, and Peter says um, it's not man that you lied to, but it's to the Holy Spirit. And then they you know, subsequently died after that. Um, that one's always the one that sticks out to me the most whenever it comes to like pointing out the personhood of the Holy Spirit because not with just a pronoun, but you know, you can't lie to an impassable force, you know. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a good one. So uh, they actually committed an action against a person. Right. Yeah, and if we look up here in our overview, it talks about um, the Holy Spirit being a person because the Holy Spirit has a will, knowledge, and affections. So we can think of those uh, you know, verses throughout Scripture that indicate the Spirit's will and the Spirit's knowledge and affections. Um, and that's, you know, that's all over Scripture, really, if you think about it. Um, I mean, I was just thinking about you know, uh, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. I mean, that was... That was through the Spirit, right? And so that was the will of the Spirit to harden his heart. So, um, but there's there's numerous passages we could look at. Okay, what does Genesis one teach us about the Holy Spirit? So this is the creation narrative. What does that teach us about the Holy Spirit? I mean, first thing I like how they pointed out that teaches that uh, you know, God is God of order, and that it is through the, like it says up here. Uh, where was it at? He pointed it out in the overview. Um, it was at the beginning somewhere, but it, it's that you know God brooded or hovered over the waters. And the Holy Spirit brooded or hovered over the waters. So it's through the um, let's just look at it. There it is. So in Genesis 1, we read about the proclamation of God's oversight via the Holy Spirit of all that was made. So God, the Holy Spirit, um, worked to create order out of chaos, mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of a, a very significant point because it kind of looks forward to the conversion of a sinner, you know, before you know, we're converted and we're given that heart of flesh, a heart of stone, it's just nothing but chaos. You know, so it's kind of a redemption foreshadowing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, it definitely teaches us that he's a God of order, not chaos. And it also shows us his power, right? The creative power of the Holy Spirit. All right, what is the primary difference between the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testament? Um, 
of the Old Testament. Um, I think, you know, I like how he pointed out that it's, it was given to certain people rather than the New Testament. It's given to all the believers. But I think more than anything, I found it interesting how he pointed out that the it was given, the Holy Spirit was anointed and empowered people that weren't actually believers. Mm, yeah. You know, so you have like the case, one of the biggest, largest cases of uh, King Saul, mm-hmm. you know, where it says that he prophesied, you know, with, you know, stripped naked and prophesied and, you know, did all of that. And then you have the, um, you know, the ba- is Balaam, is that, I don't think that's the name, but, um, you know, the guy that was definitely a pagan and even went to go and try to prophesy against Israel and curse them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, God, the Holy Spirit, anointed him and more or less forced him to bless Israel instead. <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, those, I guess those are the ones that, that stuck out to me more than anything else is that in the New Testament, it's giving to believers as mm-hmm. regenerative work. But in the Old Testament... God used it to um, certain people in the Old Testament to fulfill uh, functions for God. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a very big and, and interesting distinction between you know, um, something that you know might miss or not think about offhand, you know, unless you study it. Because um, honestly, I never really thought about it that much until until the first time I went through this study. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and that's I don't know that one's um, that was interesting if you really start thinking about it kind of I don't know I have a hard time wrapping my mind around it because at the same time you know God's sovereign right mm-hmm. and this is more just a I don't even know if I'm going completely off left wall or left field here but <laughs> um, maybe you can talk through it with me <laughs> but so God is sovereign right and this is the New Testament era um so in God's sovereignty and by common grace, he will use non-believers to, you know, help the church and protect the church and so on and so forth. And he will even use non-believers to do great things for mm-hmm. all people. Um, so in one sense, you could say, I mean, is that not the spirit of God that is still working even in non-believers, but not necessarily, I guess, in such a dramatic way as you see in the Old Testament? Uh, yeah, I would say it would be probably a difference between empowerment and indwelling, right? Yeah. Because it's only God's people who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I see your point because God definitely still uses non believers for his purposes. We see that a lot. So. Okay, I decided to wait until the end of our uh, session on the Holy Spirit to look at the confession because um, honestly, we'd just be repeating ourselves uh, each time. So we'll wait till we wrap up. We've got, I think, yeah, six sessions here uh, starting today on the uh, Holy Spirit. And then once we wrap up those six sessions, we'll uh, take a look at our confession and see what our confession says about the Holy Spirit specifically. Um, and although there's not a chapter in our confession specifically just on the Holy Spirit, uh, he's definitely talked about in various uh, areas. So we'll take a look at that at the end of these sessions. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good introduction to the Holy Spirit. I think it's it's definitely kind of a 
something to, to think about, something we often don't think about, the differences between how the Holy Spirit worked uh, back then and today. Yeah. So I hope, hope you guys found it helpful. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. This is, this is one I've always wanted to know more about. Yeah, and I'm excited to look at next time, you know, Holy Spirit in the New Testament, and then that'll further show us some of the differences, you know, so how is the Holy Spirit working today? Yeah, it's, you know, cessation's pretty good at pointing out what's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but it's definitely, <laughs> I have a hard time nailing it down correctly. It truly is God's Holy Spirit, and I guess a lot of times because of that, I'm too afraid to speak blasphemy in a sense. So I just don't say anything at all. <laughs> yeah, don't attribute something to the Holy Spirit that isn't right. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, any more thoughts or comments, questions before we close up? All right, Josh, do you mind uh, closing us in prayer? Yes, absolutely. Father, we come before you in the name of your Son and his righteousness, for we know apart from him we have no part with you. We thank you so much for your plan for salvation and for always orchestrating and ordaining events that will bring us ever closer to you and the likeness of your Son. Jesus, we thank you so much for coming and modeling the, the life that we should live and even more so living the life that we couldn't live in our place and dying as a sacrifice for the sins of all those who believe. Spirit, we thank you for indwelling within us and applying that work to us. Lord, we, we ask that as we continue in, this, in these sessions and in these studies that you would empower us further with your spirit and pour your spirit out upon us that we would be able to understand and know these things that they would transform us and change us and sanctify us even further and please use even these things to draw my children to your son that they would know and believe and think back on these times and that you would have it all click for them in such a wonderful way in her name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.